Welcome to Compelling Communicators, a podcast where we learn some golden communication truths from compelling communicators from wide ranging fields, including teaching, mediation, youth work, mental health nursing, counseling, expressive arts modalities, and community development. In this episode, we meet Ruth Thomas, a practitioner who brings such a rich range of experiences of work involving the art of communication that it makes my head spin in a good way, and why I am featuring Ruth as the second interview on this season of Compelling Communicators. Ruth's work experience has depth and breadth, including direct client work with young people, some of whom have refugee and asylum-seeking backgrounds managing teams of practitioners who work with people experiencing marginalization, and now as a student studying to be a creative arts therapist, which values a multimodal approach to communication with oneself and others. In this episode, Ruth reflects on her value of genuineness throughout our conversation as a guiding force in her approach to communication What's important to her in communication is that we don't need to get it right because there is no right. Ruth encourages us to be fully present in the moment, including allowing ourselves to be spontaneous and guided by improvisation principles of taking the offering others give and adding to it. From this, we can build understanding together. So listen out for why taking the knowing out guides Ruth how the inquirer and companion work together to make meaning in the creative arts therapeutic connection and why feedback is important in the communication loop and how it is vital to Ruth's practice as a communicator. Now over to Ruth to introduce herself. I am a mum of two kids, nearly two adult growing kids. I think that's important to say because um, some of the things that I'll talk about is around sort of life experience as well, so that puts everything into context. Um, I have a bachelor degree in youth work and I am currently um, studying my master's in creative... Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Masters in Creative Arts Therapy. So I'm currently studying my Masters in Creative Arts Therapy. Sometimes it's a bit of a tongue twister, that one. Um, So, you know, things have emerged for me professionally and um, that's really exciting. So hopefully I'll be able to intertwine uh, lots of that um, experience and how that came to be um, through, through us having a chat. Um, just just in regards to some of the work that I've done, so I spent many years working in the uh, youth work sector, um, specialising in refugee young people and their families. And then I got a sort of taste for um, or really began to be really interested in adolescents using violence and then more broadly into the family violence stream. So I started working in family violence for several years. And then from there, um, I sort of making those life uh, choices in regards to where I want to be um, and I really missed the uh, working directly with clients rather than sort of leading teams. Um, So I've now just recently moved into the community health sector working with sort of more generalised communities. So that's been really lovely while I finished my master's. And, of course, in between that, uh, can't go by without doing some creativity. So a bit of an artist on the side. I like to think I am anyway. That's wonderful. Um, and as you've started to allude to, the connection between the through line with your youth work training and then working with young people, adolescents, uh, their families, um, with the context of, of what you've talked about, um, and into the family systems work, and then sort of not out through, but but in in addition to the arts processing. So the reason that I wanted to 
to have this conversation with you now um, is because I know that you have used many communication techniques in building trust with, I mean, um, this is a bit of a sort of foreshadowing what we're talking about, but um, with young people and their families, building trust is such a complex thing to do, but also how your communication has morphed into this visual process as well. And I'm so keen to hear whether there are similarities, what the differences are, how one has supported the other, et cetera. So um, thank you for providing that background of of where you've come from and where you're moving towards. It's very exciting. Would you like to continue to um, help us get to know you more by sharing a value that is really important to you and your life in general? This is it's a hard one, Rachel, when someone says, you know, what is sort of your main value? Because I know that we've got a number of values that we go by. Um, lots of people do, and it's really hard. So I really had to think about this particular question. It was a great question. I would have to say um, through work and life that um, genuineness is a really important value. That's great. Um, We will be no doubt pulling out why that is for you as we're discussing, but we'll leave it there for now. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it sort of hanging there for us to further come back to. Um, What does communication as a concept mean to you? It's, it's interesting while you're talking, I'm thinking about how, you know, sort of early on in my career and as a younger person thinking of communication as quite black and white you know it's like verbal non-verbal and you know I and then I think about and you just mentioned sort of my work working with young people and I think how um, creative I was when engaging with young people but there was no kind of word to explain it really so now studying, um, you know, arts practice, um, you know, in therapy, I'm really, t- I guess I've gone from black and white, you know, it's a non-verbal and verbal to multimodal communicating. Wow. Um, that seems like a really big word. Um, and, I, and I guess the best way to sort of say, talk about that is that, you know, through the use of visual, reading, writing, kinesthetic and audio um, and through different modalities, I'm communicating in such a broad way that sort of seems to um, be quite adaptable and given, you know, that we all come from all sort of walks of life and all experiences some of those modalities are going to be sort of, um, uh, you know, resonant to to more people than others. So I really feel that even though I did that kind of stuff, um, you know, with young people and was quite creative and, um, you know, really worked sort of outside of the box of that black and white, I didn't have a word for it. But now I do. Years down the track, now I do. And I sort of talk about that as a multimodal way of communication. That's beautiful because uh, I can relate to the idea or the experience of of finding a word or phrase that explains, which, of course, is that intrapersonal communication. It's making meaning for ourselves. Oh, that is what I was doing. Um, And you were communicating in a multimodal way that included, as you've said, the you know, the text space, the reading and writing, but also the doing, the kinesthetic and the auditory, you know, the the seeing and the hearing. Um, And I wonder if you have a memory um, of your time back when you were working with young people uh, that you think was a a true multimodal communication moment. Oh, there's so many, but there's one in particular, um, and of course, without sort of giving any names or anything, but I was working, uh, you know, as a youth worker, I was very privileged to work alongside and collaborate with um, newly arrived uh, young people. And there was one young man who actually um, 
an Afghanistan refugee um, who came, who didn't have any family here and really sort of establishing that connection um, was really important and that trust. And I don't know, it just happened organically. I think maybe because I was sort of open to it, um, but I'd visit at the school um, where they were learning and we got talking. We ended up just organically drawing at the same time. I think I had challenged him to do a um, a portrait of me and I was going to do a portrait of him and that kind of failed miserably. <laughs> and that got me to see how wonderful he was as a drawer and he ended up drawing um, for our next session um I still, you know, I can still see it. You know, there was, um, you know, tanks in the background. It was all sort of around the war and trauma. And we were able to communicate through the visual. So it was very much him sort of sharing um, the visual and, and, and talking to it and speaking to it and um, giving it meaning and and I think what I've learned as an you know art therapist in training is that it's really important for me to take any kind of knowing out. That's the most important thing. I don't want to hold any value on that. I want I want the inquirer, who is this young person, to to speak speak to it in a way that as if I have no knowledge of it. Um, and I'll talk to you, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you a bit more about the process of art therapy perhaps down the track. But, um, yeah, and he, he actually, and I think it was one of these strengths that was just, uh, he kind of ran with it and he ended up um, exhibiting some of his work in an art gallery. Um, and he was the one who drove that, you know, I was just sort of supporting him. Um, while he did that, he drove that and he made it happen and he he was he, it was amazing. It was such a big thing for him and lots of recognition of his of his work, his mastery in 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 drawing, but also um mastery in sort of telling a story of his life. Right. And the opening that he did that, he was able to um bring to that. Uh, I'm also hearing the genuine the genuineness that he was um demonstrating yeah yeah and and going with it being open to it yeah um I was curious as as you were as you were starting to share around that the drawing together which is so beautiful because of course it foreshadows what you're doing now and and the, the love of 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 the visual process for you um and 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 where the role that language plays sometimes is a barrier to our communication if we're able to step away from that because we must because there is a actual language barrier or because we choose to because we think that that other forms of communication may get closer to the bone as it were or closer to the truth of the issue or the connection mm. um was that something that was was bringing to bear on that interaction Well, I think of um, my own experience, you know, trying to talk about difficult things. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not, you can't always, you know, I mean, I premise a lot of conversations as, you know, I'm sorry if I'm not going to articulate this right. And, you know, and how many conversations I say that as a reoccurring thing before any kind of um, discussions, like we've got to get it right, we've got to get communication exactly right. And that's where I'm talking about the genuineness you know, the ums and the ahs and the the slipping of the tongue or what, whatever it is, you know, that forms part of that organic, genuine interaction. It doesn't have to be so clinical and um, and driven that, that way, you know. It's, um, you know, it makes me think, and, and I know you haven't asked me another question, Rachel, but I'm going to tell you another example of, like, when I was at um, doing a presentation to a whole lot of um lawyers in in Canberra and I worked so hard to get this presentation right you know adding sort of bits of humor and stuff and actually stuffed it up on the day like of all things but you know what it was genuine <laughs> it was I you know it was like wow you know I stuffed up and it, it makes I feel like sometimes it makes the listeners 
feel more at ease that, you know, someone who's holding, you know, information or knowledge or whatever um, is human too. And um, and I think that's that that's where I get about the genuineness. I think that means more to me than having to get everything right mm-hmm. and premise that, you know, um, and I, and I probably should do less of that. I'm sorry, I'm not going to get articulate this in, you know, in the right way. And I, and to, to go back to your question, you know, regarding this young man, um, um, we didn't have to get it right. The language was was done through through the visual and through keywords, and they didn't have to connect these keywords. And um, if I sat there and said, "Well, what does that mean?" You know, you've told me these words that don't even relate. I'm actually just witnessing and hearing what is evolving at that time, and most things evolve over time. And that's what that's what he did. So I didn't have to um, try and get the words out, and he didn't have to try and get the words out. It just flowed with with um, a natural kind of interaction between keywords and gestures and pausing and um, drawing and mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, there's so much in this, and it, it, the time and space required to 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 deeply connect in a way that is trusting and genuine um, is is so important in this conversation about communication, I think. And what we're starting to pull out beautifully is that it's an organic process. There is no right or wrong. It's it, it, it can land more easily than others. It can be have more impact than others. But what I hear from what you say, Ruth, is your desire to um, honour that organicness. And so I have a question about the Canberra presentation um, or your stating that I think I heard you say, uh, maybe I can stop saying I won't get this right. Um, if that's what you did say from my memory, um, is there a reframing that now that you might choose to use um, that you could say to somebody or even just say to yourself about the communication you're about to go into that moves away from that, I'm not gonna get this right? Um, I probably need to work on that a bit more. Question, right? Yeah, yeah don't. It, it, it's a very good, um, a very good question, and I love reframing. And that's probably, um, yeah, probably something that I can take away and and have a think about. But um, maybe even just getting rid of that altogether, yeah. you know, and and being able to. Uh, jumble around in my words and just sit with that discomfort and letting other people sit with that discomfort too and not trying to make sort of apologies for it um because I think we we often do when we when we you know you you feel like you're not getting not articulating yourself well um and you know you might see someone make a gesture that makes you feel that it's not landing and then you know you feel like you have to apologize for that and you you know and it's like well hang on no 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 let's just get back to just you know talk about what you want to say and people can ask questions so maybe really I love the use of reframing but maybe it's actually not even having to say that at the beginning because mm, it's that discussion yeah because it comes from a true basis of belief from yourself that there is no right or wrong way and it will unfold and if if goodwill is present and integrity and genuineness then what will unfold will unfold exactly yeah I think this is a beautiful moment to to dive into the following two questions which are around how you use communication in your work and what type of communication you use because you started to um, flesh out further around the process of or you alluded to the process of working in your in the expressive um in the creative arts mm. what manner would you like to in whatever way you choose to answer that answer how you use communication at work what type of communication you choose to use now maybe referencing what you've mm. done in the past as well wow um how do i use communication um well, I think uh, you know, similar to what we were talking about before, I'm sort of more multi 
modal in my um, communication and that's come in, um, you know, through the use of, you know, I'm thinking, you know, creative forms of, um, you know, poetry and, you know, I'm really interested in the use of puppetry in, in therapy. So I've got some puppets at home that I'm just starting to kind of um, delve into. And um, I think it's a shift for people around me to see, oh, my goodness, what's going on with mum? What's going on with, you know, what's why she got that puppet again or why is she, um, you know, uh, describing this in, in that way? And it's really kind of pushing the boundaries of what's, what's the 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 norm as such you know so really what has evolved is me using sort of that multimodality in terms of communicating um and uh, you know but but what I have done in the past is be quite you know uh you know it's, it's very sort of black and white it's it's very rigid and I think um yeah sometimes it doesn't even though you can have, I've, I've trained, I've, you know, I've, I've gone to university, I've done communication skills at uni, you know, I've done a number of other sort of uh, little sort of things around communication, you know, including improvisation. Like, I mean, you think improvisation doesn't, you know, um, sort of come into communication, but it it actually does. It's such a, it's such a skill um that you're doing this collaboration and invested in what this other person is giving to you as an invitation to have a conversation so um yeah I I feel like I have evolved over time the way that I communicate is much broader but also on a on a different note um particularly in the last um you know, I guess through COVID, you know, when I'm sort of managing teams online, um, it's really difficult for a lot of people who prefer that face-to-face -face and having to kind of work on, on teams online or having more conversations on the phone. And um, and I'm really pleased to have evolved. I haven't, again, I have, you know, it's it's been a learning curve for me, but you know, for anyone who sort of feels comfortable and, you know, in a workplace to be able to sort of say, you know, hey, um, you know, I'm neurodivergent, I need this particular um, way of communicating. You know, I've had to really adapt some of my, you know, supervisions and, and the way that I communicate and present, um, you know, information to teams because, it you know it's only until someone says you know hey this is not working for me so feedback is really important it's part of that communication loop for me to be able to get that feedback particularly in the workplace on um what's not working so to give you an example of how things have changed for me at work I might um, rather than I'm I'm a talker as you know I'm, I'm I'm a talker I'll um I'll just kind of go with the flow try and engage people and you know might um uh, you know five minutes before give out an agenda to to the team and sort of go with the flow that doesn't work for everyone you know they might you know so I valued the feedback you know hey Ruth can you send this out in this format you know, a couple of days before so I can understand it and understand what's going to be discussed so I'm prepared for it and I've got that visual. So that's just an example how, um, yeah, I sort of had to adapt things and, and learn as well because, um, you know, neurotypical person, you know, it's, it's you know, you, you're sort of making assumptions that sort of, you know, this is the way things are are done and it's only until the workplace really understands that we have so so, so much of a broader uh, community at work that we really need to be mindful of the way that people receive information and give information so mm. um, that leads into a later question which is around the impact that you're looking for so I I heard in in your explanation there about your learnings around the the communication online etc all of the incredibly valuable things that you talked about neurodivergent reception etc 
what are you looking for in your impact? You want to summarize what you're looking for from the people that you're communicating with? Hmm. Well, it's um it's a it's a great question. It, and it really makes me think because we all, you know, we want we want to be impactful. We want, we want to, you know, I think often and maybe I wouldn't say that through my work so far. I'm like, oh, I have to get, um, you know, I'm doing this work because I'm going to see results. You know, I don't, I don't run that way, and I feel that I, you know, I, I can, I can do my best, and that's where again I feel like making change is around that feedback from 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 clients or consumers, whatever term you want to use. Um, so I, I feel like I am always learning. I'm, I'm, I, I can't do my work and I can't grow if I'm not reflective. So to answer your question in terms of the impact I'd like to, to make, it probably goes why I'm doing my Master's in um, Creative Arts Therapy, is that in, in a therapy session, an art-based therapy session, I'm the companion. I'm your companion and the client is the inquirer. And we are equal. I know that in, you know, in many sort of therapeutic sessions, you know, um, sessions and in different therapeutic environments, you know, people say, you know, we're equal and, you know, but but the, the therapist holds a lot of knowledge. So sometimes there's, you know, uh, there can be that power sort of imbalance. I know that a lot of practitioners, you know, don't. It's it just it can it can happen. But I guess what I really love about the art therapeutic space is that I'm the companion. You're the inquirer. It is going to land with you when it lands, and that could be in the work that we do. Might land for you in your inquiry to the way that things are happening for you or the way that, you know, things are evolving for you as the inquirer might land for you an hour after the session, two weeks after the session, two months after the session or two years' time. And and that's all that matters to me. So I'm not necessarily going to witness that impact, but I would like to think that it happens. Um, it's always nice when, you know, people come and say, you know, that was great or, you know, that that was not so great. But, you know, to hear someone two weeks later say, I didn't know what you meant by that poem. I didn't know what you meant by, you know, because I, as a therapist, I'm giving, I'm responding to what they're giving me through another modality. So I'm communicating they're giving me, for an example, a, a picture that they've drawn. I'm responding to them through words on paper. It might be a poem. They go away with it. They do, we don't have to unpack it there. It's their space. It's their inquiry. I'm not there to give meaning to it. It's there to kind of because they will make meaning of it themselves. I am just the companion. I shouldn't say I'm just the guy. I am the companion to their inquiries. So they hold that knowledge. But, you know, when when someone, you know, says, you know, Ruth, two two weeks later, you know, I, it, it, I had that light bulb moment. I had that light bulb moment. And, it, it, and that's what happens. It takes time. It takes space. And that's the kind of impact I want to make. And I may not see it. <laughs> so this process that's is very long Rachel <laughs> it's beautiful it's 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 beautiful and it's complicated to understand when you yeah. sit out when as I do sit outside this modality and yet as somebody who um as somebody who's lived life as we all have in different ways I I can understand this process of somebody walking alongside me and not in, not putting their stuff onto me and supporting me yeah. to figure out what I need to 
uh, excavate, um, which I would also yeah. say is somebody who's a really amazing active listener does. Um, mm. All the skills that we know around validating, normalizing, reframing, um, restating, uh, you're doing it in different ways. But what I also heard from that is what you said, the words you said is it will land when it lands. And I was, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, what is the it? I was going to ask you a question about it. But then I thought that then you elaborated, um, they make their own meaning. So I understand that it will land is the meaning that they need to understand will land when it lands. And then prior to that, I'd written understanding of self, which I think is the meaning making process. Is that accurate? Yeah, beautiful. Yes, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, we we don't know what it is. That's the magic of it. We don't know what it is until it lands with us. Even when I'm doing my own inquiry is, you know, in my own art practice, um, I don't make meaning of it until some sometime down the track. And, and I can't, you know, it's that moment, it's that connection between past and present and um values and all that sort of stuff it's um it's it is quite complex and it's probably you know I know I've sort of you know at a glance sort of said a couple of things around the sort of art therapeutic process but it, it you know I don't want people to feel too fearful of it. it it's complex but at the same time it's very organic and it's very um um the the the, the client consumer is very much in in control of 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 their inquiry I love that. And also it's reminded me, as you said, that not to be fearful of it. It actually reminds me of what we did as children in primary school or in kinder is that we'd be drawing mm. and we'd have we'd have conversations about the drawing and we'd all be with teachers and with with friends and stuff and with parents. And we'd be un, un, uh, unpacking such a contemporary term. Yeah. We would be yeah. uh, making meaning of it together in that way. So it feels also whilst it's not something that is commonplace uh, and wouldn't it be wonderful if it was in our oh. society as as adults it is something that we understand because we've all been children and that fortunately is what children do experience is that yeah how does that land with you yeah i um there's so many times that i engage in processes that really evoke you know something sort of from ch- childhood and there's something really um beautiful about that and I think you know as we get older there seems to be you know no you you can't you can't play with puppets you can't have a dialogue with puppets you can't you know it's quite you know um specific on or this we've been socialized to communicate in certain ways and that means that people who would thrive using different modalities to communicate and express themselves somehow feel left out or they're not doing something right um and there's a lot of shame with that and it's like no there's no right or wrong in 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 you know in the art therapeutics um space and i'm not suggesting that there is in other um therapies but i'm just saying it's it's um sometimes people are not linked into that particular modality that suits them. Yeah, that's right. And and it reminds me, I've just written down the phrase, that we're born meaning makers, that it's our birthright to make meaning. Mm. And we are socialised away from these natural impulses that are multimodal is what I've taken from what you said. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yes, uh, lovely push makes me want to go and draw after this session <laughs> um this is such a beautiful conversation because it's it's exactly where I'd hoped um our inquiry together would go our um back and forth because it really leans into all the ways that we communicate way beyond the verbal which is um really my intention for this podcast is to get outside that you know, there's a right and wrong way of doing it. And you say these mm-hmm. words and it will mm-hmm. land well, because we know as practitioners um, in the various ways that that we've, we've all honed our craft um, as mm-hmm. communication, um, uh, yeah, practitioners, uh, that that it is so diverse in accord- accordance with our audience, with how, what, what the impact that we're wanting to reach, etc. So thank you for really blowing it open for us and seeing how many different ways that we can 
I suppose, remember our younger selves um, in this. Yeah, movie. and yeah, and permission also as practitioners, Rachel, to bring yourself yes. into the space. Uh, you know, yes, you know, how, and I guess that goes back to what I was talking about, the value of genuineness, you know, that someone is going to know you can have all the skills in the world you can be you know have your math two master's degree in the top job um you know all the knowledge but someone will pick up whether you're genuine or not and and that's not going to help that process you know it's not going to be um it's only going to be of service to whoever you're trying to support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, and I do have, and I guess some of my communication style, I'm going off script here, Rachel, um, but some of my, some of my uh, you know, genuine connection is being a bit spontaneous, is going, is, is, is moving. You know, even when I talk about modalities, Going, being able to adapt from one modality to the other, being fluid with it, and part of that is 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 trusting, you know, that process, but also allowing yourself to be somewhat spontaneous. And um, there's one book from many many years ago um, when I was at uni studying youth work. Um, Electra said, "If there's one book that you need to get in regards to communication, it is." Um, Jared Egan's uh, Egan Skilled Helper model. And um, there's a quote out of there I'd love to, or just a, a few words if that's okay. I feel like I'm taking over your podcast, Rachel. So just, <laughs> you know, put me back, put me back in my place. Um, all right. This so this is, what, <laughs> this is what I was talking about, things being quite stringent, you know, that, yes, there's skills, there's models, there's um, processes. That's that's great, you know, and, and you can take those and put them into any setting. But um, this is what, this is uh, uh, something out of the beginning of the book, um, and I'm sure you'll give some details for this book um, later on, but the emphasis on skills learning that is apparent in the skilled helper and other process models can suggest a disjointed and mechanist, uh, mechanic, I can't even say it, I'll have to say it again, Rachel, mechanistic is that how you say it? mechanistic? Okay, I'm going to say it again. So the emphasis on skills learning that is apparent in the skilled helper and other process models can suggest a disjointed and mechanistic mechanistic approach. In his own writing, Egan is at pains to highlight the need for helpers to mediate their use of skills through spontaneous engagement with the client. Yeah, that's right. So you have it. You have a you have a set of skills that you're taught, which goes to my next question. Yeah. I'll wrestle the podcast back into my. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm I'm saying that because it's all it's beautiful all that you're saying, and I keep okay. going. Um, that we have a um a toolbox of skills, and then as a skilled practitioner of communication we choose how we use those skills at any time and then we and we morph them we might create our own set of as we always do we have our own flavor of things Uh, that's what I hear that you and that Egan is suggesting that you do rather than okay I'm in an interview situation so I need to operate tool number three (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes you know and that's and that's right and and sometimes I, particularly for um newer practitioners who might feeling a bit sort of nervous to bring some of themselves into the space yeah. you know in the workforce you know I say you know trust in that process too again genuineness is going to come across to the client you can stuff up they will know when you're stuffed up but there's a genuineness that it needs to be there into for engagement Hundred um, percent. Um, yeah. No, no. I was going to say I don't have an example, but um, oh, right. Well, um, so this is so beautiful because we're riffing on so many ideas that I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I could ask that question and I could ask that question. So I'm sort of going to combine two questions and then you give your example. Yeah. 
So there's the two questions that I wanted to ask was, how did you learn to communicate this way? And we've started to talk about the, you know, your university training, and then of course, most recently your master's training, and you might want to add to that. But then the second question is a memory of a moment where you had a breakthrough in your skills, where you knew that mm. you like next level. So maybe that's what's coming up for you now. Yeah, you to yeah definitely. You're so in, um, we're in resonance with each other, I feel like, in in our um, inquiry today, so it's beautiful. Um, so in, t- in terms of how um, I, I learned some of these things, I think life experience teaches you these things, what works and what doesn't work. Um, you know, you try something else, you push the boundaries, you get put back in your place, you know, like it's, you know, that that that's inevitable and that's an important part of life's journey. Um, so, yes, I've done the, you know, the, the university stuff around communication, but equally some of the, there's two places that really taught me a lot of my um, skills and they're quite different. One was a NIDA course in improvisation <laughs> um, and one was being a volunteer at Lifeline for a number of years. So they're quite, they're, they're so different, but imagine the skills that come together. Mm-hmm. So I'll speak about the improvisation. The improvisation is around sometimes we're so keen when, when someone's talking or oh, Rachel's asking me a question, I'm processing, oh, what my answer is going to be. I forget about being in the in the space and actually really kind of giving Rachel all all the you know the, the attention that you deserve for this question because we're so much in our heads, yeah. So in, in improvisation, they teach you you know it's not it's not about you, you know it's not about you. It's about the your partner who you're improvising with. They are giving you a gift. They're giving you a line, and you need to honor that. You can't just go. Um, uh, yeah, uh, that's interesting, but let's talk about this. So it's more, it's you know, it's more like, oh, I'm going to go with that. It's an invitation to go where they want to go. Mm-hmm. But we also say, you know, um, we'll talk about something in improvisation and then add something else to it. Yeah. So we're incorporating both and it's a real play together. So improvisation taught me to... Um, not think so much in my head and just trust the process and really trust my partner who's giving me a line or something to work with, yeah? So there's that dance between what they're saying, what I'm saying, and then what I'm saying they take as a gift and run with it, and that's how the improvisation works. So there was something so wonderful that I was taught in that um, in that particular time uh, um and I really and I wanted to continue and as you know Rachel I do a bit of you know comedy and stuff as well and writing but you know that's because I love that spontaneity and I love that um the the communication that you have with each other the other the other thing at at lifeline was that I learned to be in the moment and I had so many things sort of um, you know, I was really exposed to a lot of complex trauma and a lot of, you know, isolation that people were feeling. So it was, you know, I felt like a real, you know, it's a huge responsibility to sit there and listen to and hold people in, in space. Um, and I was like, oh, Ruth, you know, you've said the wrong thing. You've got to say the right thing. This is where the genuineness comes from because they can pick up that I'm trying to be too rigid and not be in the moment. So it's it's important to have those list, deep listening skills. It's good to be able to rephrase things and all that. But if you can't be in that moment with that person, and I'm not suggesting that there's no, you know, that we, of course, we need to contain conversations and, and, and you know, that's what, you know, is part of it. But to be genuinely in that conversation with someone, um, I, I learned that that there's I'm going to stuff things up. I'm going to say the wrong thing, but I'm going to turn up in a really genuine, authentic way because I want to be there. Um, and I think that's the most important thing that came across to me when I was working at Lifeline. Um, and I'm happy to give you an example of when that kind of failed, but kind of worked at the same time. You let me know, Rachel. Yeah, good. 
Yeah, good. So there was there was one there was one, and this is when it's sort of early on, and I was really cautious about saying the right thing, and you know, being responsible for something that someone potentially would do after a conversation. Um, and there was one chap who I was speaking to who was quite depressed and quite anxious, really quite isolated. And he was telling me a story and, you know, part of, again, sort of modality storytelling people, you know, it was holding space for, for him to tell his story. And he said it in a way there was one moment where I laughed and in my mind while I laughed, I'm going, oh, my God, Ruth, you laughed. You cannot laugh in this in face of what what you what he's just said. But it was done in such a um, genuine, um, authentic manner. Um, anyway, there was silence. There was silence for me, and I thought I had really um, stuffed up. And he said to me, why are you laughing? And I was like, I was ready to call my supervisor over and go, that's it, I'm packing up, I'm going home. <laughs> um, I said... Because I, and this is the genuine side of me, I because I could have backtracked and said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. I, you know, I didn't mean to laugh or what, you know, but I actually owned it and I said, the way you just told it and what you just said just, uh, you know, made me laugh. And he goes, no one's ever said that to me before. And I said, that, that was really funny the way that you said that. And he said, and then he started laughing too. And I was like, oh, so the sweat, I could I could wipe the sweat from my face. And he said, um, no one's ever told me that I'm funny before. And in that moment, there was this real connection and I was giving him feedback that he's never heard before. And, yeah, so that was an example of quite being spontaneous in my in genuine in my sort of engagement with him, not knowing if it was going to land, but not being too overcautious that I was going to say the wrong thing and being true to the process and giving that honest, you know, feedback. And it landed, you know, it landed where it did. It was quite a um, profound um, experience for both of us. Yes, I I. <laughs> I don't know what to say now because I, I'm replaying all of, I'm sort of seeing it in cinematic quality. You know, this, you can imagine that moment in a, in a story and a narrative where the, the, the risks are high, <laughs> the calculations are intense and you've just outlined oh. that beautifully. And, but that response from a place of genuineness that you didn't try and cover your tracks or be that professional listener, you were, you were genuinely you and he heard that that landed and that connection was intensified is what I heard mm, yeah yeah wow. yeah that that is a powerful um anecdote and a evocation for us to trust ourselves to to know what we're doing but also trust ourselves so be be as um, informed and prepared as possible and then to let it go and trust ourselves yeah um, thank well, you. Well thank you for, for, for going there and, and also thank you for doing that work because um, what important work that is to be um, on the receiving end. And I also know it's 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 yeah, it doesn't it's doesn't always end well and it doesn't always end yeah. well that you hope, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um amazing work. Um yeah, that I was privileged to be part of. And and I think it was really lovely. You know, it, it is, and and I think, Rachel, you know some of the work that I've done, you know, with, with you know, complex trauma that this is the thing and it sort of goes to the improvisation. When a family in who, who has dealt with so much trauma ends up retelling or reframing a story with humour, it's it's okay to it's okay to have moments of humor through through processing trauma like you know it doesn't it, and and that was in the, and I guess looking for invitations from people is really important because you know if someone's going there that's kind of allowing you to go there with them yes 
That's right. And that's that links onto something that you said before, which was trusting my partner, trusting the other person to know what's, I don't want to say what's okay for them, because not always do we know what's okay for us, or we might um, further exacerbate our pain and suffering when we're in deep crisis. But ultimately, that 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 faith and trust that we hold in other people, that they are um, the holders of their own wisdom, and that goes back mm. to you as a companion walking alongside them, um, is is what I'm pulling out from all of the approaches that you've you've discussed, and and mm. so many more that we could continue. But I'm aware of time, and yeah, um, I'm also I, I want to acknowledge that I'm also awed <laughs> um, <laughs> by your and I laugh because we had an email ex- we had a text exchange where awe came up, but that's the word that that is um, yeah. Is resonant for me now. I'm 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 awed and in awe of the work that you've done, and so that's why I, I actually don't have a quick sort of response or question in because I am mm. kind of in awe of all that you've just said. So I want to acknowledge that. Um, Thank you. That's yeah. It's 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 wonderful to be able to um, reflect in a space with you, Rachel, on on some of these really sort of pivotal moments that you know, um, we may lose sight of, but it really sort of shaped our value system, how we work, how we don't work. Um, and, and all I can say is that it just evolves. I'm still learning. I'm, st- I'm you know, um, yeah. And and another word that, that I wrote down was dance because it's a, that's a metaphor that I use for communication. Very, it's such a strong one for me that it is this dance and, you know, it, it's the, the, the process and I, you didn't say the word dance, but that's what the, your sharing um, evoked in me. It's this, this interaction mm. between and it's moving and flowing and that it's an improvised dance. It's not a choreographed, choreographed dance. <laughs> it's an improvised (laughs) dance and it's but it's one that 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 is happening before our eyes in the moment and I think I also want to say that that my initial intention for this podcast was to support my students as a teacher of communication as a teacher of 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 people wanting to work in in the community service space which you have you've explained your experiences in part in and how important it is to to take all that you've that you've shared um, as a real guide, that that all that you have been able to um, clarify with us about your experiences, all the training that you've done, all the the breadth of experience you've exposed yourself to, improvise it, like all of this adds to you then being able to sit with a person in crisis um, and support them in the way that they need to be supported and. That's a that's a monumental un, something to understand in a monumental way when you're first coming into it. But to be able to listen to mm. you talk about the work that you've put in to get to where you are now and that you continue to learn and, and all the wisdom that you have shared with us is, is just beyond lovely. So thank you. Thanks, Rachel. It's been beautiful. Um, as we come to the end of the the time together, I've got a couple of sort of final questions, which really are seeking to, I suppose, encapsulate what we've talked about together. Um, so the question, so I'm, the question, ooh, the question that I'm going to ask you now is: Do you have a golden truth about communication? Um, if somebody asked you, you know, what what have you learned? What's your golden truth, Ruth? What would you say? Oh, um, was that one on the list, Rachel? <laughs> it was. <laughs> it's my golden truth. Um, I don't know if I've got a golden truth. I'm I'm probably one of those people who like to sort of break normality, you know, of of you know, like way things should be. Um, I got told very early on in my life um, the effectiveness to your communication is in the response you get. And I always believed that. I always believed that till now. (laughs) 
Um, no, no, I, 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 in part I do because I think that there's a part of that that's about self-reflection and how we carry ourselves and how we communicate. But at the same time, we can be the best, can, we can think we're the best communicators um, and we've had the best results and, you know, people give us great feedback or whatever. But... Um, I think that only goes so so far um, because everyone's got their own, I don't know what's going on for someone else. And so uh, I guess there's a thing that I've sort of had to deal to to really learn is the boundaries around communication and that even though I'm responsible for my part of the communication, I can't be responsible all the time um for for necessarily where it lands for someone mm. so that's a hard it's a, it's a hard truth for, to to kind of grapple with because i think as particularly as an empathic person you 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 feel like you have to have things land for people and make it pretty and wrap it up in a bow and and things like that so I guess, yeah, I thought the truth was that the effectiveness of communication is a response I get. But now as I grow older, that's less true and it's more about there's two people here in the communication. I'll take responsibility for what I do in the best that I can, but then it's really up to the other person and the way that they've been brought up and their values where it's going to land. Does that make sense? I hope so. Well, it certainly <laughs> does. And um, the golden truth is such a silly binary way of saying, of asking you and others to, to, to try and encapsulate everything. So it's a real doozy of a question, so I apologise, but it is purposefully doozy. <laughs> and thank you for, for sharing that um, because I think, again, it's, it's something that, new new practitioners going in feel an enormous sense of responsibility and I think for those of us who have uh, lived and breathed the you know miscommunications and the the stumbles along the way and the the successes that we see might be a result of us or maybe not whatever um yeah. what we're responsible for is ourselves to be the safest practitioner in that moment Oops. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, which yes, but which I guess um, I'm I'm not afraid of having um, difficult conversations. I'm not afraid of having sort of confrontational. I don't like having confrontational conversations, but I'm not uh, I'm not afraid of of having them if if need be. But like I said, you know, we've talked about you know things that I've done, you know, workshops that I've done, skills that I've developed over time, just like any other colleague of mine would be doing. But that doesn't stop conflict from arising. Yeah. That does not stop it. It doesn't guarantee it. No. And I think that's the truth. That no matter what you do, there 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 will always be conflict. There will always be misinterpretation. And that's okay. It's a matter of being curious and open to having those discussions to, res to for some resolution. Did I did I leave it off on a nice little bow, Rachel? That's, that that, that's amazing. Uh, well, it's something that is so important to me that we're able to have these. You know, it's part of my mission, really, in the work that I do now. Is that is that we use the the skills that we have developed to have those 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 courageous conversations, those difficult conversations, because that's real, you know, and that's how we all move forward together, potentially. That's an overstatement, but uh, an oversimplification. So thank you for bringing into the into the piece the, the challenging things that we are going to need to attend to in our communication with other people. Um, this conversation is so so beautiful and has gone on for longer than normal because we've been riffing <laughs> and I'm really aware of that with time but I have I have two more questions that I want to ask if if you're if you're okay with me doing that please yes yes far um, away who so this is a, a a question that that hasn't come up in our conversation so far which is interesting um the most impactful communicator you've ever experienced or witnessed and um, maybe alive maybe not alive um you may have experienced them in person or read etc who is who is a person for whom that's true for you um 
probably going back, and that's probably why I sort of ventured into youth work, um, having had a bit of a, um, you know, difficult teenage years, uh, was a youth worker who really gave me the time and was very genuine in their um, and honest in their engagement with me. And, you know, being part of it, you know, the systems and being part of the family unit and things like that, to be able to have someone who um, could really validate experiences in such a way that made you feel heard and held um, just made me want to become a youth worker. Like that was, you know, I just thought so other people need to feel this. Um, so that was probably a really powerful person. Um, and not everything that she said was great, but it was impactful. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. it was impactful. And then the the other the other um, person is probably sort of more recent, sort of um, through my studies, you know, lecturer who just um, sort of blew me away in terms of their way of connecting with students and um, engaging with people and um, remembering things about people, um, that personal, remembering names like that and what that person said. And it just, it, it made the class just want to, to listen to them, you know, and I just thought that is just, I want to have a memory like that. I want to spend the time um, you know, being able to listen to people and and um, hold that information, so next time I see them, they can they really know that I've 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 listened and I'm interested. So yeah, that's wonderful. those those are the people. Yeah, and you're not the first person that I've heard say that a youth worker in their life encouraged their own ideas of being becoming a youth worker so that's so so important to remember isn't it that the work that mm. we do in the world is is often modeling how other people may choose to to live their lives um as we draw this to a close i'd love people to uh, be able to connect to you and your work more broadly um as a result of listening to this so would you like to tell people how they can connect with you um so they can connect with me on linkedin um that's yeah encourage people to reach out um and I guess I'm at this sort of beautiful um time where I'm um launching sort of my art my own personal art that I've painted um on a website artisan paintings by Ruth and so people are welcome to reach out to me um, yeah, that would be lovely to connect with people. Um, so, you know, it's specifically for my art work because um, soon I will be student registered with Anzakata. So I'm um, hoping that um, eventually that will kind of incorporate that art therapy process as well. Yeah, and if people stay connected to your website, there'll be updates around that. So that's how, because uh, people may choose, you know, here, um, all the amazing um, ideas that you have shared and think oh, I'd like to have a session with Ruth and that might be something that you can offer in the near future. Um, yes. I, I highly recommend sessions with Ruth. <laughs> um, Bring out the puppets. I'll, I'll, I'll do any modality. Yes. Um, Love it. You know, that would be lo lovely. And, and thank you, Rachel, for um, putting together this um, podcast because your work is just extraordinary and the gift that you have to, um, you know, sitting with someone and drawing out so much information and in a way that's just so beautifully respectful and um, you're just so such an engaging um, presenter and someone to talk to. So I, I just love your work and and thank you for doing um, this podcast. It's wonderful. That's that's a that's a thank you so much, Ruth. I appreciate that. Um, it's interesting how uh, communication evolves in the moment, which is what we've been talking about. And this conversation has uh, has been an absolute joy to have from my perspective. Thank you. Um, and in relation to that, as we are drawing it to a close, I, I put in a sort of meta question at the end, which is how do you draw communication to a close when you say goodbye to somebody? What is your comfort? Where do you go to when you want to draw 
a conversation to a close? Um, so I use my hands and my, um, you know, face to to give you a gesture to to just yeah, it can be silent, and it's a way of saying thank you and uh, for holding space and my respect to you, and just as a side note that that often in arts therapy we would give lots of gestures when someone um, presents something um, as a way of receiving what they've said. So, again, another form mm. of connecting that's um, that's felt rather than just, you know, spoken. So thank you so much for that offering. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you for your time, Ruth, today and all that you've shared and all that you do. You're an absolute gem and uh, love you to bits. Thank you. Love you too. Thanks so much, Rachel. In this episode, Ruth has shared her golden truth of communication, which is a challenge to a previously held belief that the effectiveness of communication is the response you get from the receiver. Now, her own maxim is, there's two people here in the communication, and I will take responsibility for what I do and do it as best I can but I can't be responsible for how what I share lands with others. My appreciation goes to Ruth Thomas for her time, humour, insight and generosity. You can find Ruth on LinkedIn and via her website, which is artisanpaintings.com.au and Instagram, which is at artisanpaintingsbyruth. If you're listening to this podcast at the time of release and are based in Melbourne, you can also visit Ruth's latest exhibition at Bridges Restaurant, Hurstbridge. Thank you for listening and go well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compelling Communicators. Thanks to Nina Humphreys for composing the music you're listening to now. See you next time.